0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative
1: truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
0: And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, and our property. To fight for what matters in the way it matters, at the time it matters. If you want all of that and more, well, this is your one-stop shop. Daniel Horowitz back here today, Friday, end of the week, October 21st. And really, what sets us aside from other shows is we don't just commentate, we don't just muse and engage in punditry. We actually discuss policy outcomes where we want the ship to head. And that's why from now until November 8th, we're going to be discussing, for the most part, November 9th and onwards. That is what matters. November 9th and onwards. What exactly are you going to do with that election mandate? I can't force people to do things they don't want to do. But what I can do is give voice to the right strategies, the right issues, the right policies, the righteous truth at any given time. And that's what you expect of me. So I'm not going to really do much horse race for the next two and a half weeks. I do want to get on Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar maybe one time just to do a roundup of what's going on so we could learn about... What he's seeing in the polling in order to, again, aim that towards policy outcomes. But the the, the the revolution you're looking for is not November 8th. It's November 9th. And what I mean by that is this. Do we finally change our focus? I have all these Republicans I know that are so into elections. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What's going to happen November 8th? And then they die November 9th, they die the next day, like nothing ever comes of it. That same intensity that you're constantly refreshing the RCP polls page every hour, that needs to continue on the issues that matter in the states that matter. The legislation that matters, the executive policies that matter. Are you pressuring the Republicans in the right way? Let me give you a great example of how this can be done. So we've been talking about, obviously, yesterday, um, CDC votes to put the death shots on the childhood immunization schedule. To quote Lara Logan, who just got chucked from Newsmax, another fake entity, um, the world leaders are dining on the blood of children. Pretty big deal. Death shot after everything we know about it, this is what they're doing. And for the first time, it wasn't just me, but many other conservatives were calling on the Republican governors to at least make a statement. So you know what? They actually felt the pressure, and you could tell by the timing and tone of their statement. It was like they had a gun against their head. They were forced to follow Ron DeSantis and saying, hey, we're not going to do that here, or we already passed legislation that precludes that. Fine. So this is not an exhaustive list. There could be more. But from what I've seen... So far, as of midday on Friday, Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, Spencer Cox of Utah, Mike Parson of Missouri, Christine Oma of South Dakota, Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, Bill Lee of Tennessee, Kay Ivey of Alabama, and Kim Reynolds of Iowa, and actually Democrat Governor Jared Paulus of Colorado also uh, said that they're not doing it there. Um, So that's more than any other time. When we demanded statements and they never made a statement, well... Pressure does work. Pressure does work. Remember, the name of the game is to pretend to be conservative, but actually help the other side. So the more we force scrutiny on them, the more they're forced to either openly defy us and then we can more easily defeat them or they'll maybe be forced to go along with us. Focus on the issues and the people and the legislation, the play calls. We need to be making the play calls. Noticeably absent, by the way, are Greg Abbott and Brian Kemp. Again, by the time you're hearing this, it could be they changed, but it's still something that that this has gone on this long, and I've not seen a statement from them. So that's glass half full. So that's success. But still, we're not demanding more from them. Here's the glass half empty part. Okay, so we have death shots out here, and we're not going to fully force them on children to get an education. Well, dude, we should be downright recommending against their existence, not just saying we're not going to force you to get it at this point. But again, not one other state is recommending against even children getting the shot, much less adults, much less taking it off the market, much less bringing up Pfizer on fraud charges, which, which, by the way, states can do. A Florida lawyer, Jeff Childers, points out that uh, a friend of mine, Florida has a deceptive and unfair trade practices act. A lot of states have similar laws, which allow lawsuits against companies that misled consumers about safety and efficacy of their products. Now, he says right now, that law in Florida has a glaring exemption for pharma, but that could be legislated away next session, and it should be. And you might think, oh, well, you know, how did states get around the PREP Act, the um, the, what do you call it, uh, NCVIA. Yeah, and that needs to be repealed at a federal level, and we're going to be talking about that and more with Marjorie Taylor Greene coming up soon. But it's important to remember that it's not like it's a blank check that companies could literally mislead and lie. And we caught them lying. So yeah, they're absolved from... Negligence, it turns out people got damaged by their product. But if they lied in their advertising and marketing, that's a different story. And we now have all the evidence. Grand juries could bring this up. We need to, this this does need to happen. Grand juries, state laws, attorneys general, pressure, make the play call. But yet every other Department of Health, all these governors, Kim Reynolds, K.I.V., K Bill Lee, Glenn Youngkin, Christy nome their Departments of Health are downright recommending the shots and pressuring and promoting them, even on children. To this day, there's such frauds that needs to change. That's my point. Pick the top 50 most influential conservatives. If they would jump on all these people, make the play calls on this and other issues, we could have a very different election. I want you to think about being on the other side of this election. Right now, at least until now, the polls don't really show a wave. They show a traditional flipping of Congress that you would expect in the midterms where one party holds the White House, especially when the opposition party is starting out just a few seats away from the House majority and already 50-50 in the Senate. Actually, it would be downright historically bad if Republicans didn't flip both houses, so that's nothing. But, you know, polls are starting to show a little bit more momentum, and let's just say all the... In All the undecideds break 100% in, in their Republican direction, which, based on a number of factors, is not outlandish to think that might happen. And let's just say best-case scenario. They not only run the table in all of the contentious races, but even somehow surprise us in a few senators and governors and maybe house races in blue states. Maybe they flip New York governor, Connecticut governor, and maybe even Sid Blumenthal gets flipped the Republican there, whatever good she is, um, Levy, I think her name is. She supported Jeb Bush for president, but okay, some polls only show her back like three points against Sid Bl- Blumenthal. Okay, Connecticut, Oregon, maybe Patty Murray goes down. Bennett in, in Colorado, I don't think so. But I'm just saying, let j- just indulge me. We wake up the other day. I mean, people are in cloud nine. Oh my gosh. So rather than spending the next week or two owning the libs, owning the libs, owning the ha ha ha, look, you lost. Biden's administration is over with. Um, No, it's not. They're continuing to persecute us. Steve Bannon was just sentenced to four months in prison for literally being an, an advisor to a president. And not kowtowing to a legislative subpoena on an underlying question. Where there's no accusation of a crime. Because of January 6th, somehow, if you supported the president's position on the election being stolen, that's a crime? Again, it's like literally saying that any Democrat that supported BLM is responsible for all the murders and, and looting and beatings and arson that they committed. And $2 billion in damage. And therefore, we could just bring up any executive official on charges or subpoena them, if you don't come, we're going to throw you in prison. They never do that, by the way. Criminalizing politics. We can't wait another day. Now, he is going to be able to be out of jail pending his appeal, but this is what they're doing. We don't have the time. We need action right now. What are you going to do? Exactly commensurate with the mandate these Republicans get is their responsibility to immediately act. And immediately, we're going to talk a little bit with MTG, and next week I'm going to come out with a column outlining this. Just days after the election, House Republicans, their conference holds a freshman orientation for the incoming members, where they pick leadership, where they pick a rules package for how the House is going to run amazingly important. And then the governors and the state legislative sessions beginning in January, February. The amount of things that can and must be done. The vote. If that does in fact happen, the voters will be saying, Republicans, please, we want relief. Do bold things. On interposing the feds. Crushing the federal tyranny. Energy. Food. um, Medical freedom. Crime, the border, grooming, autonomy from international treaties, autonomy from China. So many things. And I'm going to try to come out with a a list before January. And that's what we're going to do. Highlight the strategies. The key players that need to be pressured. The legislation we need. State, federal. That's where our focus needs to be. If it's there... We could really have a revolution. So, to me, this is a huge lesson that Republicans can be pressured if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to stay focused. I do want to get to our interview, but we have a couple couple more things. First, our sponsor of, of MTG's interview today is America's only Christian conservative mobile provider. Um, look, you know, big business is going to cancel people like MTG, cancel Patriots. We need to make the switch away from Verizon, T-Mobile, go to Patriot Mobile, which has plans that fit almost any budget. They use the same carriers, same phone line. You don't have to change your number. There's no excuse for not changing over. Um, Same service, except rather than supporting transhumanism, They actually support the sanctity of life, religious freedom, and Second Amendment. So go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Use offer code CR to get free activation. You know what? If you're a veteran or first responder, they actually appreciate your service to the country. So let them know because they have a special discount just for you. Come join our movement. Make the switch today. Patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. The other day, our two-year-old daughter came home from – she goes to a little play group in the morning, came home with a Band-Aid on her hand. And I never saw her so happy. There's something psychological about kids love Um, (laughs) Band-Aids. They just love it. And I was thinking, that's exactly what Republican voters are. Elections are are such a Band-Aid. It's such a comedic relief. Wow. Oh, man, this is great. And when you've solved nothing, if you don't act, the FBI is still going to round up our people. Pfizer is still going to push the death shots. Republican health departments in Republican states are still going to push the death, death shots. The border invasion will continue. All this stuff will continue. One of the things that Kevin McCarthy cleverly does and all Republicans do is they fight us on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. So because they don't do what we say needs to be done at the time, you have irrevocable damage. Then finally, two years later, or 20 years later, they'll say, yeah, you know, we've come to your position. But then at that point, you need to do much deeper surgery. So in illegal immigration, everyone's talking about, oh, Kevin McCarthy said, we're done with comprehensive immigration reform, aka amnesty. We're only going to do enforcement, no amnesty. So like, we should celebrate that For 20 years, Republicans went and fought a border invasion by saying, we're going to give amnesty. They joined the Democrats. Now they're like, okay, we're no longer going to push amnesty. Well, that's too late. We suffered executive amnesties worse than any legislative amnesty we could have ever imagined. Anything short of state deportations is worthless at this point. So Republicans will pass standalone legislation to fund more Border Patrol, which is meaningless – It's not a matter of funding, it's a matter of kicking them out and stop inviting them and cutting off all the magnets. Will you put that in the budget bill? Will you prohibit funding for any release of any illegal alien with criminal penalties to any government official who does that? Anything short of that and putting it in the budget bill or a must-pass bill or the defense authorization bill, national defense begins with border defense is worthless but that's what they do always a day late and a dollar short so it's like now it's okay to say yeah we shouldn't shut down the schools or don't force children to get the covid shots whoa whoa, no no no. do we say don't force anyone to get an abortion no we want to ban abortion no one's forced to get it and even the military is still forced and they're not even promising to fight that And again, this all ties back to the fact that Kevin McCarthy is not contesting Mitch McConnell's plan to pass an omnibus bill for the remainder of the fiscal year in the lame duck, undercutting our ability to act swiftly, at least within the first nine months, on any issue. Any issue. So this matters. This certainly matters. But like I said, a big thing is the following Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so election day is Tuesday, November 8th, following week, the freshmen come in. This is when they vote who's going to be the speaker, majority leader, majority whip, committee chairman, steering committee, and they adopt the rules that matter. And what I want to speak about with mtg coming up and this is this is really important what matters is we need to take the loincloth away from the gop so what they like to do is perfectly evince the image of a conservative fighting for our grievances at a time while ensuring that the the problems actually continue and they don't do it that's their that's their end goal and it always is So we need to undercut their strategies, their rules, the way they run the house, their leverage. And let me give you one example we're going to talk about. And the Freedom Caucus has made a list of demands for rules package adoption. And so far, leadership has rebuffed it and has refused to respond to them. And one of them is the majority of the majority rule. Okay? Again, Republicans are worthless. I don't think at a federal level there's much you can even do. To me, the governor should be doing this. But there's a couple of things we could be doing, both messaging wise, building the case for things, then ultimately building the case for a budget bill. In other words, I am okay with hearings and standalone legislation if that's to build the case for ultimately putting it in the budget and fighting for it on a must pass bill. Um, You need to decentralize control. And you need to allow the prerogative of an individual <coughs> members like MTG to make noise. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be pushed in front of oncoming traffic. So that's why they want to be very tightly in control of what they're doing. So they could pass this fluff stuff that doesn't do anything and won't even be signed into law anyway, while ensuring that the leverage to actually do something is is written away. And the And the first thing they're doing is actually ensuring even before... Republicans get in the door, the budget is out the window. Classic example. So what we want to do is force them not to do it. One of them is the majority of the majority rule. A lot of people forget that Trump was such a pathetic loser, and I'm sorry, some of you might get insulted, but I don't care. Almost every budget that he signed, fun fact, was supported by majority Democrats, minority Republicans in the House. Okay? He actually, every... And this was while they had the trifecta control. Well, you're saying, like, Daniel, how do you have trifecta control but Democrats run the budget? Very simple. Hope yes, vote no. Hope yes, vote no. Republicans really and leadership really wants it, and most Republicans want it. They agree with it, but they're scared of their base. So they get around it by basically having every Democrat vote for it. And then, like, the old bull committee chairs that are like suicide bombers. They thumb their noses at, at, at the base anyway. They don't care anymore. Somehow they can't get defeated or maybe they're on their final years and they have them vote for it. And everyone else, including those that really don't care or down down right on the other side, they're able to vote no. So what that does is, again, it allows them to get their outcomes they want without getting punished. We want to take that mechanism away and there's several ways, but we'll talk about this more next week. We'll talk about it a little, little bit with Marjorie, um, But one thing is the majority of the majority rule makes it that the House leadership can only push a bill, let's say a budget bill, that is supported by a majority of the GOP conference. So what that means is, here's why that's important. Let's say you have a budget deadline coming up and Republican House passes a decent standalone budget bill to defund the things we want defunded. Let's say let's say they do that. Well, the hours are going to tick down to the deadline for government funding and you'll have a so-called government shutdown if you don't fund it. And the Senate's like, "Well, we're not passing your House bill." The House should say, "We're not passing your bill" and again have endless speeches and media and events throughout the country highlighting the harm of their policies and what they're doing and 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 willing to fund. But at some point, they're going to be like, well, we can't have a government shutdown. This is why we need you to support us two years from now in the next election. Then we'll have the Senate and the White House. Then we'll be able to do it. Mind you, they did have all three and did this anyway because they didn't have 60 votes in the Senate, and they never will. But whatevs. Okay. But then they have a problem. On the one hand, they want to get the Democrat budget bill passed. But on the other hand, they're scared of the base yelling at them that you voted – to fund tyranny. You voted to fund Pfizer. You voted to fund the invasion. You voted to fund the FBI tyranny. So what do they do? They get the Democrats to vote for it and and just a small number of Republicans and the rest are free to go. By ensuring that they can only push something that has the support of a majority of the conference, it will force one of two things. Either they can't do it Or a whole number of undocumented rhinos will now be documented. And that at least helps us in the long run. So that is a very important rule. But I just want to open your mind to a number of immediately important things. While everyone's going to be dancing in the end zone. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. We just crushed the Democrats. McConnell in the Senate is going to be giving the left everything they want in the lame duck. And the House conference is going to be electing McCarthy as speaker and screwing us on every position, every committee chairman, every rule that sets up the agenda for the House. And I'm going to be the only one focusing on it. How do I know? Because I've lived through this three other times. Literally. Fun fact, 2010, right? Probably in some respects um, the biggest Republican victory in a century – Almost a century, maybe 80 years. And guess what? They responded to that mandate in the lame duck. We were slaughtered. Slaughtered. They passed the DREAM Act out of the Senate. They passed repeal of DOMA, repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and many other things. December 2010. I'll never forget that. They just took the wind out of it. Wait, you mean the voters just said, we want you so badly, and you just respond by doing Yes, that's what they'll do. I know it's unbelievable, but they, that's what they'll do. They'll continue doing this, and you need to understand that. So we need to focus on how to utilize and immediately utilize that electoral mandate. So what is this formula to making the election mandate actually meaningful? The truth is it's simple we know what it is there's going to be a couple of good figures inside of these respective legislative bodies and hopefully in a few cases executive bodies like governor that are willing to push the proper ideas in the case of congress it's going to be starting off with standalone legislation and hearings And remember, you need the right people to be willing to push the right sort of standalone legislation hearings. But then it can't just end there. We need immediate relief. So the next step is you build a movement, you build pressure and discovery behind it in the case of hearings, and then you fight for two things. Number one, that the governors that have trifectas in these red states implement where practically possible at a state level, these ideas. And then at a federal level, to use the must pass legislation, including the budgets, to fight this. It's that simple. Anything less than that is straight BS. Okay, we can't wait till 2025 to not have our people arrested by the FBI for having political beliefs. We can't wait until they have five more death shots out immune from liability. We can't wait until we have another, I don't know, what, six million illegals. By then, and the criminal cartels doing their stuff. We can't wait until uh, you know there's no fuel-fueled cars left to drive on the road. This stuff is existential. This ain't your grandfather's election. So with us today is probably one of the best people to discuss this and more how to utilize this electoral mandate because it's going to be one of the few people that's going to lead this. Marjorie Taylor Greene, congressman from Georgia, doesn't need much of an intro. Uh, Marjorie, thanks so much for joining us again here at Blaze Media.
1: Oh Daniel, thanks so much for having me on today.
0: I know you've been had a, have a busy schedule today, but you'll enjoy this discussion because I think this is really what you're about, how to cut through the fake talking points. Here's my concern. My concern to put this in a crude analogy. Let's say Republicans win big in the election. It's like showing up to your house with with an army to do combat with uh, a villain that just walked out with a bloody sword and just murdered your family. And well what do you expect? I don't know, you expect them to pounce on the guy and, you know, trials and executions. But instead you hear noise that, "Hey, you're stepping on my garden. You just uh, stepped on the tomato there." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what do you just say? They just killed your family." <laughs> and and that's what the, the impression I'm getting from Republicans. If you heard my intro, they're not really talking about any of the aforementioned stuff if they do it's on a very superficial level it's kind of like the economy is bad inflation's high as if it's like a natural disaster not something that was done um orchestrated by some certain policies that they themselves supported how could we hold them accountable to actually fulfill the mandate without our base buying into the flowery rhetoric that they're using
1: well, isn't that the question? And, you know, here, if we look at the time on the clock, it's really 11.59. And I think that's how every Republican needs to look at it, is if we don't hold our government accountable, if we don't pursue investigations and and force people to face consequences for the proof that we're able to show, if we don't force the right legis- legislation, if we don't cut things in the budget, like vaccine mandates like CRT in education, like like the the trans movement that is preying on children. If we if we aren't willing to do that and we don't take the responsibility resp- the responsibility to do it, then when will we do it? And because there is we can't wait any longer. And I think how Republican voters and especially Republican donors need to hold their Republican um, uh, leaders accountable after after they're elected is they need to remind them very loudly. You remind them with your checkbook and you remind them with phone calls, emails, and you go meet with them in, in their offices and, and remind everyone that this is the job that we're electing you to do and you have to do it. You, there's no other choice. And and so that comes two ways is it's encouragement and accountability. And that's what Republican voters need to take to Republican leaders as we enter into the next Congress as we enter into 2023.
0: So describe for our listeners, you know, you just went through this process. You are a freshman member. What happens that first week after the election that's so pivotal that the constituents need to know to direct their attention? Because my concern is that it's kind of like dancing in the end zone. Let's just say it's a great victory. Everyone's going to be excited. Oh, the Biden administration is over. Um, you know, and and we all pray for Steve Bannon today. Obviously, it's very tough what he's gone through, and it underscores the sense of urgency. Um, look, I'm scared of the FBI arresting me for what I say, but he's out there and he said, Look, Biden administration is over November 8th. And I'm like, Steve, I wish you're from your lips to God's ears, but the reality is you got to make the plays. You got possession of the ball, but you got to make the plays. That following week, what are the pivotal choices that are made that people need to know about to call their incoming representative to direct their attention to those issues?
1: Well, you know, nothing changes after November 8th, really. The same people are still in place. Nothing really changes until January. And even in January, when when our new members of Congress are sworn in, when hopefully new Republican governors like Carrie Lake or Doug Mastriano or, or others hopefully get sworn in, um, that just means the job begins. It doesn't mean that anything, any problem has been solved. It doesn't mean that inflation goes down. It doesn't mean the gas prices go down. It doesn't mean that, that our government is is not fighting Russia and some war in Ukraine. It doesn't mean the fentanyl stops killing people. Nothing changes, honestly, until we start doing the hard work to change it. Um, and so people have to have those expe- expectations and I totally agree with you. Um, I, am, I stand with Steve Bannon, and I will, I will continue standing up and speaking out for him, uh, just like I am the people that are still being held in jail uh, for January 6th, whose due process rights are being completely violated. Our government, the reality is that, that people have a hard time speaking the words. The government has actually become the tyrannical government yes. that our founding fathers uh, warned us about. Um, but but here here's why you don't see a lot of people um, just just completely recognizing that fact. The middle class in this country is not really suffering yet, but but the middle class will start suffering uh, not too long from now, and until unless we clean up these problems, and we are far from it. We really are not far from it, and you, you would see a vast change in the attitude of most Americans. Um, as soon as they're unable to heat their homes, as soon as they're unable to turn their lights on every single day, as soon as they're unable to afford to go, you know, enjoy college football or NFL football or, or whatever activity or hobby they love to do or vacations they like to take, as soon as those wonderful luxuries are unaffordable, you'll see, you'll see a huge change in this country. But we just aren't there yet. People aren't suffering, but it's not far from now. And if Republicans aren't willing and and don't have the courage to fix it, then that that will soon become a reality, Daniel. And what we've seen happen to, to Steve Bannon and others, um, that could even become a more, more terrifying reality. And we just don't want to see those days come.
0: Well, we have pro-life activists that are being rounded up for, for singing outside of abortion clinics, um, obviously they're an inch away from criminalizing our beliefs and just you know, showing up and rounding us up. It's something I could have never envisioned. I literally have my wife, uh, you know, I have her collect certain phone numbers to immediately call to get, get the word out if I'm rounded up, and I, I never would have envisioned that. I was always scared of Islamic terrorists because of the work I did or maybe the cartels at the border, um, and now nothing scares me more than the FBI itself. So this is something we can't wait with. We can't wait another month with. My concern is that they've already set almost an irrevocable path to passing an omnibus bill for the entire fiscal year that will undercut any real leverage to um, have a funding fight over these FBI programs and prosecutions. Is there any way to pressure Kevin McCarthy? I mean, I'm just going to ask you straight up. I don't understand. He's the presumptive speaker in waiting. This is his whole tour de force. This is his body of government that he will lead with a simple majority, unlike the Senate. The budget is his only leverage. McConnell wrote it away, assuming he follows through and does an omnibus before Christmas. Is it just me? Yeah. I have not heard McCarthy say a word about this, and I don't, under, I don't understand it.
1: Well, I I, I mean, we have to admit the first failure is in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, which you you just acknowledged that. And Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate, there's so many things they could have stopped, but they fully gave a green light to Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats agenda, which has been I mean, that's unforgivable for what Mitch McConnell has done in the Senate. His failures are just you can't say enough of what a failure he is um but but no actually what I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Republicans in the House working very hard to stop this this budget being passed again for another whole year the can just being kicked down the road um I know I'll be a very loud voice speaking out against it but you're right we we have to we have to fight as hard as we can to to not allow that to get passed just you know rolled into another whole year because it just continues more insanity But actually, I have heard Kevin McCarthy and others say that we need to stop it. So I'm hoping we see a big fight in the House. But our problem in the House is until January, when we're sworn in with whatever size majority that we have, and I feel confident we will have one, uh, we're still the minority. And they can still, the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi has done an amazing job, as much as I hate to say it, of corralling her party together And passing their disastrous agenda. So, you know, we'll see what she's able to do as a lame duck speaker. And and I don't know what she will be able to do. But yeah, no, the pressure has to be on to, to do everything we can to stop that budget from being just rolled into another year.
0: So isn't some of that pressure the week following the election, this freshman orientation, there's the conference meetings that adopt the rules and the leadership? Could you walk yes. us through, you're, you're a member of the Freedom Caucus, what the Freedom Caucus is proposing and why that will help ensure the mandate is more than just fluff?
1: Well, the Freedom Caucus has put together a rules package. And the rules package, uh, it's, it's really hard to explain in, in a very short answer, but the rules package is designed to give legislative authority to every member of Congress and to allow for more amendments to be added um, into bills for, you know, true changes, um, basically putting Congress back into a functionality that it, it was previous set up to. So that is the rules package that the Freedom Caucus is working very hard to get past, and in communications with leadership about, about getting that put into place uh, when we vote on, on that going into the next Congress. There's a lot of debate happening there. Now, I think it's important to understand the next two years, though, we aren't going to be able to pass sweeping legislation that Joe Biden or whoever's in the White House would sign into law. Um, So that's where some of those rules really we wouldn't have as much um, benefit. We wouldn't benefit as much from them until we have a Republican president in the White House. So that is one thing important to acknowledge. Um, and as much as everyone's going to have huge expectations of a Republican controlled house, we really are limited. Uh, we can pass all the bills that, that we want to, but if they don't go through the Senate and they don't get signed into law, then there's literally no change. Our power is going to be in the budget. And that's why what you yeah. the, the question you asked me before this was so important. If that budget just gets rolled into another year, nothing changes, it just stays the same old thing And the only thing we can do is investigations and provide oversight uh, and expose corruption. So our hands are really tired, and that'll just continue to frustrate the American people. But I think it's important the conference needs to function properly. Um, What I'm actually working on is I'm wanting to see a more unified Congress uh, conference, Republican conference, while I'm continuing to push very hard, uh, push my conference to the right, um, and to reflect the America first policies yep. and values that so many of our voters want to see happen. So I'm not interested in, in taking like a um, uh, you know, bringing war within our conference. I don't want to see that happen. I want to see our conference work hard together. And I want to do that using, um, using relationships and, and leveraging what the American people want to see happen.
0: Sure. No, I mean, obviously historically, how whatever issues we had with House leadership, the Senate leadership was ten times worse, and it's always going to be that way. But like you said, you know the House can't pass anything without the Senate, but the Senate can't pass anything without the House either. So right. where it's new legislation, the default is nothing, then we have no leverage. But where it's a budget bill, and the default is okay, then your your agencies get no funding, and you have a government shutdown. That's really where the leverage is, and I think that's where we we talked about earlier the majority of the majority rule. I want to talk about another rule I thought was important that is being pushed by the Freedom Caucus our listeners need to know about is that, so typically, even the standalone bills, the messaging bills that, you know, maybe you won't put in the budget bill, maybe you'll wait off with, but it's important to build support, build messaging, raise awareness. As you well know, it's only certain ones that will even get that status because there are certain things that are untouchable. So you have promised to, um, and this is very timely in the news, to at least reform, modify the PREP Act, the NCVIA, the blanket, blanket immunity for all these vaccines, and particularly the the new ones uh, out now and in, in the pipeline that have caused so much, so much damage, such injustice. We not only need compensation liability, we need the discovery uh, uh, through that judicial process. It's really our only avenue. Um, I, I think we all know... And you're trying to be diplomatic with leadership, but naturally, that is not a bill that will ever be brought to the floor. And typically in recent years, it's really only bills that have leadership support that get brought to the floor. Um, describe what you hope to do with an amendment process to at least trigger a vote on some of these bills that are wildly, wildly popular with, with the Republican voters, but not so much with the Republican leaders or donors.
1: Well, actually, the vaccine mandates, repealing the vaccine mandate is something that I hear talked about sure. widely in our conference.
0: The liability. So
1: that, oh, yeah, no, we need to take away their liability. The vaccine manufacturers deserve no protection uh, because they have they've made billions of dollars um, on the backs of the government, forcing people to take the vaccines. And now we see the CDC making it part of the vaccine schedule for children starting at six months of age which is unreal and absurd Um, and we'll see children in democrat states forced to take these vaccines parents uh, forcing their kids to get them uh, based on the cdc's recommendation just so they can go to public education which the taxpayers pay for the parents pay for it so it's it's absurd but no what we have to do is we have to push these amendments into place we have to push our leadership push our conference uh to support people in this because this has been, it's been medical tyranny. Um, it is, is completely unscientific. They talk about science. This is the most unscientific uh, supported vaccine that that's ever, you know, in history. And countries like the UK, many countries in Europe, they're not even forcing children to take the vaccines, and they're taking away their vaccine mandate. So I actually do have a lot of, I, I am going into this with confidence. In leadership in our conference of of working to repeal the mandates, but I I do believe I'm one of those saying it. We need to take away the liability protection of the vaccine manufacturers. Other other messaging bills that'll be hard to get a vote on, but I'm but I'm working hard on it. Is a bill that I have pushed and led the movement on, and that's the Protect Children's Innocence Act, stopping the transgender um, mm. surgeries and and puberty blockers of kids under the age of 18, I mean, this is, you talk about medical tyranny. This is, um, it's basically uh, experimentation, medical experimentation on children and genital mutilation. And it's completely wrong. And it's taking the rights away from parents in in Democrat states that forces it to be an issue where we need to make it a federal law to make it a felony to do these surgeries on kids and and, um, prescribe puberty blockers. That one is a big one. I have a border bill in place that would put a four-year moratorium on immigration, and that absolutely should happen. Four-year
0: moratorium on immigration. So these are two very yeah. important bills you're you're talking about, and I want to again weave in process so our listeners understand the situation. Um, you know, I'll speak for you here. Those two bills are. In my view, dead on arrival with a leadership, especially the second. I mean, the second one. I think everyone would agree is because they're all very for unlimited number. You know, you just slap the word legal in front of immigration and all types, all numbers of all amounts coming from China and India. You know, selling out the American worker. They're all for that. At best, they're against illegal immigration. Um, they'll never support that. But isn't it true that the Freedom Caucus has an idea to adopt as the rules package, an idea that if ten percent of the conference, which would be, let's say, about twenty-four members sign on to um, an amendment, it would at least trigger a vote on it. Because without that, the stuff would never get a vote.
1: Well, we have to. Well, I'm not sure on that number exactly, Daniel. To, to mm-hmm. answer your question, I, I have to verify that before. I don't. Sure. I don't want to answer wrongly. Um, but to, to adopt a rules package within our conference, that's those are votes that have to take place in our conference. So I'm I apologize, I don't have that number.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean I'm looking at the there's a there's a fifty page packet or so that was put out to freshman oh, members. Yes. And that's yes. where that's where I'm getting it yesterday.
1: from. <laughs> Right, um, and I haven't, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't read through it yet, but they did send it to me yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'll, only nerds like me read through it, because I thought, I thought it was pretty decent, I really thought it was very mature, it was, because uh, I lived through this, a lot of us lived through this with the Boehner Congress, and it really was trying to rectify some of the problems that we experienced, where we have very popular ideas, and even if you oppose them, they, they are important to the time, they have a lot of support, they do raise important questions and they need an airing and let's go back to the transgender thing you know one of my concerns again is what i've watched leadership do for the last 10 15 years is again they won't fight on the budget and then even the standalone they'll be very careful in what they do so i'm watching this parent parental rights bill it sounds great i mean who opposes that it really requires transparency they get notification of certain things they get to look over the curriculum yeah, and, and you know what I mean. It's 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 good, but there's no hard trigger like, wait a minute. There's no castrating people. There's no um putting men in female bathrooms, none of this. This is not happening. No funding of the federal government can go towards castrating people. I mean, I just saw the State Department's funding it in Ecuador, Fox News had an article on that. I mean, throughout the government, there's all this funding. I mean, that's a pretty simple popular thing. Just no funding for that. I'm not seeing that as a promise. You know what I mean? I'm seeing these kind of fluffy things. So wouldn't it help to trigger some of these amendment votes to at least get an understanding of where we are in the conference?
1: Oh, I think so. I, I, I fully support that. And I, I think it's important to be able to trigger votes like that. That's why I was so dedicated to calling for recorded votes. Because I believe the American people need to see how every member of Congress votes. That's our job performance. And so having the ability to trigger amendments and bringing them to the floor for a vote, I, I think it's exceedingly important and is also showing that, yeah, here, we're willing to take a vote on this. We're willing to work hard to try to pass it. Um, here's who supported or here's who didn't. And, no, I, I, I think that is a really, really good thing. Um, I also, I'm also i also one of those that believes in fighting it out to the point where if we shut down the government, so what? You know what I mean? It shouldn't matter. Uh, the the government is ruining most people's lives every day right <laughs> now and, and has been for a long time. And so if we're battling on the floor over budget issues or whatever it may be, and we end up shutting down the government, well, fine. You know, too bad. We, we shouldn't fund it if, if it's if it shouldn't be funded, um, you know, like the Department of Education. My goodness, Department of Education has become so dangerous to children. uh, We should defund the Department of Education because of, you know, different curriculums like CRT and bringing drag shows into schools and grooming children and sexualizing children and and these teachers who who believe they should never be fired because they're members of some union. And a union boss is saying they'll protect them forever because of their union dues. But that's completely wrong, and the government has lost its way, and so has Congress. And so this is why a rules package is extremely important. But at the same time, we have got to have the entire conference on page because if we go into – and, you know, we have to look at this with maturity. If we go into the next uh, Congress and are just, just warring with our, within our party – and, and unable to accomplish anything, well, that's not going to give the American people much confidence in us either. So it has to be done in such a way where mm. it's, you know, agreed upon and, and mutual. And I think we can get there. I'm not kidding. You got to think about after this election, I think it said that over 70%, or it's over 70% right now, or after this election of, of the Republican conference has been elected since Trump became, came into office. So the Republican conference is a lot different than the days of Boehner and and even Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah. So it's changed a lot. And people have these assumptions over a lot of Republicans um, in, in Congress right now that I wouldn't necessarily say are totally true. I think there's been a shift to the right. That's and a very I'm important point.
0: I, I, I want you to reiterate that to my audience because you know I'm, I'm always on the lookout for this and we've been very disappointed for many years. But you're saying this as someone who's been very marginalized, you're stripped of your committee assignments. Obviously, it was under Pelosi's leadership. You're saying you don't feel, and I really want you to answer this as directly as you can, you don't feel like you are marginalized, that you are like an outcast, like there's no one like you in that conference you feel at home with a lot of those individuals
1: well i'm not saying i feel at home i feel at <laughs> home with the people in my district and that's that's who i feel <laughs> at home with but what i'm saying is is i'm not so sure that we aren't going to see a republican conference do thing I, I think they are going to do more things that that people think they aren't going to do at least i'm hoping so. And I'm going to be pushing very hard for that. And the reason why is, is there's a big change in the makeup of the conference since the days of a Boehner yes. speakership, where the majority of the members have been elected post-Trump, post-2016. And that's a big change, right? That's a big change in your views and ideology and understanding the America First agenda. So I'm, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is I'm hopeful. And I want and I'm working very hard within the conference, but also on the outside with pressure to to hopefully help hold our conference accountable, that we do the right thing for the American people. And and that's what, you know, when I'm talking with my Freedom Caucus colleagues, who I love very much, I'm I'm saying, you know, let's let's get an agreement. We can work it on the inside um, without necessarily having to use an insurgency from the outside. But I think a lot is possible. I really do. I have I have a lot of faith and I think it's possible. Um because they have no other choice. If they don't do it, then they don't deserve the votes. Sure, there are, you know, Republican votes again.
0: Sure, but as you noted, it's very subtle. Politics is an art, it's not a math. People think it's a math. Oh well it's two eighteen here, you need sixty there, you need the president's signature there. It's also an art and That's there are right. very subtle ways that you could look like you're fighting, but then say, look, well, you need to vote for us the next two elections when there really are things, especially, you know, none of us expect them to come in, for example, and and start from 1776 and everything that was done unconstitutionally, all these government programs that maybe are popular and have a lot of constituencies, abolish them, done, 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 uh, you know, entitlement, this, that. No, it's some of the new radical insane things the transgenderism the fbi rounding oh, yeah. people up the the pfizer yeah. fascism that should be very easy in one off defund efforts you know catch and you know defund oh, catch I and release agree. you know i'm just saying my expectation oh, i think oh i totally yeah. agree
1: like i have i'm selling defund the fbi t-shirts <laughs> or you know those are on my campaign site i'm i'm all for those aggressive things Um, and I, I wish that we would do those things. I think we need to, um, but you know, you know, I, I guess for me, I can't speak on behalf of others and I, and I'm not going to be one of those that will say, yes, absolutely. This is going to happen because that's hard to, that's hard for me to promise. I can't, I only control me. I can't control everybody else. But I think we absolutely have to work hard to make these things happen because the Department of Justice and the FBI has become the scariest thing in America now. It's no longer like people are more afraid of the FBI than they are of, of you know, a criminal coming in their house. And, and they shouldn't be that way. Like you said, they're coming after pro-life, um, you know, activists versus ignoring the people that were standing outside Brett Kavanaugh's house. You know, they still have people January sixth rioters locked up, but they don't have any Antifa BLM rioters um, you know, rotting away in jail and, and being politically persecuted. So I mean, I think we absolutely have to hold our government accountable. Um, but you gotta remember, I will say this, something to think about that, that maybe gets missed. Just like our conference is made up of mostly uh Trump era Republicans mm-hmm. They also got treated pretty badly this past year by the lobbyists, where most of these Republicans—and I, I don't take lobbyist donations, so I didn't go through it—but but most of my colleagues, for the first time ever, got denied donations from the lobbyists and the corporate PACs because of objecting on January 6th or different reasons. That's great. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. In the long run. Oh, that was like a— Oh, I, I wish we wouldn't take any lobbyist money and, and corporate PAC money. Uh, me and Matt Gates, I think we're the only two that don't take any of that money. But it, it changed perspective for a lot of Republican members, because for the first time, they were treated pretty badly by the class in Washington that usually supports everyone. And they got rejected and they got treated bad. And that includes Kevin McCarthy. He was one of those also. And so I think, you know, that has created a change in, in wow. the way a lot of members think. And then, then how many of these Republican members that, you know, you might consider moderate or just quiet or, or they're, they're conservative but they're not big names got called insurrectionists yes. um, and accused of horrible things because of January 6th and they never did anything wrong at all. So that kind of treatment has, has put a shift and a lot of these members thinking and I'm what I'm saying is I'm, I really think that could play out to create a more conservative Republican conference that maybe we haven't ordinarily seen.
0: That That is a really hopeful and fascinating point at the same time that I didn't think of. You know, you picture health care. Um, part of the problem we've had the entire time with this pandemic is that. Pfizer and all these entities, they really give to both sides and it's really very bipartisan. And that's why, you know, you listen to Republicans and they sound the same. So you're saying that headed forward because they've almost forced them to pick sides um, because of this corporate communism that's just gone so woke, you can no Mm -hmm. longer straddle the fence anymore. And even if they wanted to straddle it, their side doesn't allow them. And it's almost forcing them to be an insurgent against the system um, whether they meant to be or not. And so you're saying that there is what to hope for. And I think people need to hear that. Um, they need to hear that there is hope and, you know, I'm here to point to the strategies that we could utilize. And I know you're definitely gonna, um, do that as well. I want to end off with the January 6th thing. Cause I think, again, that's important. It speaks to lives in danger, lives in the balance. um, so there are going to be a lot of hearings. I mean, Republicans always like doing that because it doesn't necessarily have to force a government shutdown or you know some sort of brinkmanship. Um, what do, do you do? You have confidence that we're going to get a full investigation into the origins of January sixth, if you know what I mean. Both the origins meaning where in the world that came from, what actually did happen on the day, and then the post-January 6th treatment. Do you think we're going to get fair hearings on that? Is leadership interested in that?
1: I hope so. I And I, again, I continually point to Nancy Pelosi. Everybody, from President Trump to others in the administration to Sergeant-at-Arms to to, uh, you know, many, many of the different law enforcement and intel groups requested and, and all agreed with President Trump requesting the National Guard to be there on January 6th. And it was Nancy Pelosi that did not pursue it. And it, she was in, she's in charge of the Capitol. She's in charge of the sergeant in arms and they rejected the National Guard to be there on January 6th. That cannot be said enough. And to me, it it boils down to that one critical piece Mm. of information and why she rejected him. And then, you know, and then you can just line up, you know, so many things after that about her documentary her daughter was filming that day. And
0: the son was there from Europe, you know.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. The son's there for Europe. And then, you know, you've got like all the reports of the doors just being held open. Um, But the real negligence there, whether it was purposeful or not, and it's hard to say it wasn't purposeful, um, but we, you know, of course, that's just speculation, is that why did Nancy Pelosi turn away the National Guard? And Mayor Muriel Bowser, by the way, turned away the National Guard for D.C. Um, And and all the intelligence reports were there saying that there was going to be violence, and that started in late December. They had those intelligence reports. Uh, So I certainly think that that alone needs to be addressed, and I believe she she should be held accountable. If she was willing to impeach President Trump on January 11th of 2021, uh, literally five days after the riot on January 6th, it, it it is severe negligence and irresponsibility to ignore the Speaker of the House refusing to have the National Guard there on January 6th. I think she should be held accountable the same way they went after Trump.
0: Exactly. She, We know she should be held accountable. The question is, did someone tell her to reject it and why? And does that have something to do with the Ray Epps type of people that seem to be around yeah. and how deep that runs? But you're right, that seems to flow from that original question is why did they um, stop any help from coming before? I really appreciate your perspective. I think you gave a very mature, full balanced perspective. We've learned a lot. Um, how could people help out with your reelection effort?
1: Well, just as I said, I don't take any donations from lobbyists or corporate PACs, and that's how most members uh, take in a lot of donations. I only rely on small dollar donations, and my Democrat opponent has raised, I think, close to $14 million against me, in my re-election. So if anyone is willing to donate at mtgforamerica.com, mtgforamerica.com, I greatly greatly appreciate it. So that's a wonderful way to support me in my reelection. and again Daniel, I'm just I'm I always have hope for the future because I think it's important to have hope, but we also have to follow it up with really hard work and I believe in being outspoken and I believe in accountability. I think that's the right thing right thing to do. So I think, uh, you know, uh, poor Steve Bannon, everyone needs to keep him in, in their prayers and, and also everyone else in this political persecution that shouldn't be happening in our country. But we have to remain hopeful, and we've got to take back the House in January. And then we just have to be willing to put in, day after day, diligent work and know that it's going to take take years to get it right.
0: Day after day. That's what it's going to be, and it's going to start in November. We're counting on you coming back, updating us during that big conference week in November. We always appreciate it, um, and we really w- wish you good luck on your re-election.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: God bless. Take care. So, folks, I mean, we we delved into a lot of issues. I can't believe the time is already gone. The week is over. I had so much more to get to, but it was worth it to hear another perspective. You know, if nothing else, everyone accuses her of being some wild-eyed dummy. I mean, all the smart-set conservatives. Look, you know, she's very tempered. She's very measured, very thoughtful. Um, She didn't take some of my bait, you know? She doesn't want to swing that hard at leadership. And I understand from where she's coming from, um, I get it, and and I think you know. Whereas other members coming in, if I didn't see that willingness to fight, I wouldn't trust them with statements like that. With her, you know, she will bring up a liability bill to take away a liability, end uh, all you know four year moratorium on illegal immigration. Uh, no, I mean legal immigration, all immigration. So it's not like she's toned down, but she's like, look, let's let's see how we can work with them. Two interesting points, and I'm not gonna say she's wrong on them um number one the house conference is different um most of these people are reared more into the generation of the fbi rounding people up rather than the iraq and afghanistan wars and the most important thing we can do is fight the uh, you know some tribal warfare in syria or something and number two um it's interesting that because of the wokeness whether they originally were like us or not, the the corporations treat them as such. So they didn't take money from them. So that is an interesting point that I haven't thought a lot about. So there is some optimism. But at the same time, like I said, there's a lot of accountability measures. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the Freedom Caucus ideas that need to be adopted. Um, you know, again, I mean, how much they're willing to fight for it in the Freedom Caucus. I understand. I understand what they're doing. And... You know, with her saying, t- speaking about some of the limitations, it just underscores the need to focus on the states, which we will. In fact, I'm going to focus on that more than I focus on Congress uh, in the coming months, because there, there's no excuse. You got the House, you got the Senate, you got the governorship supermajorities. What are you doing? And we're going to have a list of demands. There's no excuse. But again, they do have the budget. These issues that the Democrats are pushing and things that they've done are extremely unpopular. They should be able to win a budget brinkmanship. And as far as standalone legislation, let's push a rule that any congressman that gets 10 percent, that's about 24 members, support it, sign on, sign a petition, it gets an amendment vote. So in other words, they want to have a vote on ending mandates. Awesome. Fine. Now, that needs to be put in the budget. Otherwise, it won't go anywhere. But even as a standalone, they will not allow a vote on um you know ending liability naturally they don't want to vote like that well let's force that vote let's allow the vote and see who votes against it so we can know where they stand The transgenderism, they'll have some sort of parental rights thing. Are they going to end all transgender-oriented funding within the federal government? I'm not seeing them promise that much, less deliver. Let's allow an amendment vote on that and see where they stand. Like she said with immigration, you know, they'll have a pretty good standalone illegal and anti-illegal immigration bill that I think we could all get behind, at least in the House. Now, the Senate won't pass it. A, will they pass it in the budget? B, will they push the states to start adopting it and see even as a standalone we needed to add amendments to that that because we've had so much out of control legal and illegal immigration boxing out the american worker attenuating the american culture not assimilable de- degrees of immigration we are we are at least 10 to 20 years beyond what anyone in past generations would have unanimously agreed we needed a Cool-off period, as we've always had historically after massive waves, and here we had wave after wave after wave after wave after wave, after wave with no end in sight. Um, I can tell you Republicans do not want that vote. Okay, They want this like neat messaging, um, pro-illegal, pro-illegal immigration, anti-illegal immigration. Okay, but that, that's a stupid thing. It's like saying I'm pro-vaccine. Well, what type, in what circumstance, what's the data, You know, what, what, what's the uh, safety and efficacy? Same thing here. So these are important. Um, the rules package. You need to hold your member accountable. Are they going to support the Freedom Caucus? Um, Freedom Caucus style rules. Are they going to join the Freedom Caucus? Believe me, I think a lot of people in the Freedom Caucus are a waste of time and and a bunch of you know just messaging machines that don't want to really fight where it matters. But at least, but if you're not even willing to join the Freedom Caucus. That tells me a lot about where you stand, unless, of course, you're Thomas Massey, who is to the right of the Freedom Caucus and doesn't want to be bound by anyone, and he has proven himself. But hey, you ain't Thomas Massey. Whatever member you have running in your district, they're just not him, and um, you know they need to they need to be put put on record, but this is the type of degree of specificity and granular detail that we're going to have to get into because very broadly, they will indulge our talking points, especially in the house. And, and again, I don't disagree that in some measure, this will be the most conservative house we've ever had. But the problem with that is this is also the most perilous time we've ever had. We don't have time on the clock. Um, and we need to do a lot more dramatic things than we've ever done. So you know, whereas before we needed a 6 and they were at a 4, now they might be at a 6, but we need a 10. And that's where it is. That's that Overton window. That's the art of politics. It's not a math. Um, we're always going to bring you interesting perspectives um, from me, from our guests. Let me know what you thought. Again, you can email me um, at d Hor- uh, Daniel Harowitz. I'm sorry, that, that was my old email. Daniel Harowitz at StartMail.com. Please give us a 5-star rating on iTunes. Follow me on... Uh, telegram is really the only place i post now is c19 truth bombs hope you guys have a terrific weekend and found this week informative we'll be back all five days for for once next week uh we're done with our vacation time so we'll be full force i hope you are there with me god bless y'all and thank you for listening